I bring grace to you and peace from God our Father through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for today is from Matthew chapter 17, that lesson on the transfiguration. And as we come to this word, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, it must have been something for Peter and James and John to see what they saw on the top of that high mountain. We pray, Lord Jesus Christ, while we are not on that high mountain with you that day, that you would nevertheless allow us to see you as you truly are with a faith that meets us exactly where we are at. For we pray in your precious name. Amen. I think the place where I want to start this morning is where we were last week. And uh, we, we were looking at a little snippet of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And as I was preaching last week, I reminded you that after listening to all the directives of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, all the do's and don'ts that Jesus gave to those who were listening, the outcome of that experience was not a set of post-it notes that went on their refrigerators when they got back home with a... Reminder, okay, remember, um, uh, I'm not going to commit adultery this week and I'm not even going to look lustfully at someone else. Uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, it wasn't when they got home a post-it note that said, I will not say bad things to my dog no matter how naughty the dog is because I am putting aside all measure of anger. In fact, actually, the outcome of the Sermon on the Mount was that the crowds were amazed because they saw one, Jesus, who was teaching as if he had authority. In other words, my point is this, the outcome of all of those directions and directives was not actually the directions and directives. It was amazement at who Jesus, in fact, was. He was one who not only taught like he had authority, but as we know, he did have authority because he was the Son of God. I wanted to start last week, even if you weren't here, by just rehearsing that because this week I'm going to essentially take us a little bit deeper in that confessional truth, that little confessional nugget, what we believe about who Jesus is and what he's done. As I read scripture, but particularly the four gospels of the New Testament, I'm reminded that those four gospels have a singular primary goal. And that singular primary goal of the four gospels is to secure in you the abnormal, some might say peculiar, some might say odd identity of Jesus as the son of God and savior of the world. To put it a little differently, when you read the Gospels, when you crack open Matthew, Mark, John, or Luke, when you study those words, why are you studying those words? Why do we read the Gospels? Some may say in keeping with the Scriptures, all of the Scriptures, we are finding out how God wants us to live more faithfully. We are finding out what God wants to speak to us today in order for our lives to change, all of which is somewhat true. 
But if there's a change that's going to take place, if there's an adjustment to the way we are living, if that's going to happen, it is primarily through the Gospels related to how we see Jesus. Three chapters of Matthew recording the Sermon on the Mount and the outcome is Jesus has authority. We read here in Matthew chapter 17 this morning, of Jesus, Peter, James, and John going up on a mountain, and in a very crystallized way, we see Jesus glowing. And of all the things that we can talk about, of all the outcomes that happened for Peter, James, and John in their witnessing of this, we have to come away with this truth. Jesus is peculiar. In his person and in his work, And the invitation of Matthew in writing this gospel, will you believe in Jesus, this Jesus that I'm telling you about? Who exactly is this Jesus that he's telling us about? Well, first of all, let it be said, he's glowing. This is odd. I don't care how long you've lived in Arizona. I don't care what kind of vegetable you look like in the middle of August after not putting on adequate amounts of suntan. You didn't have anything on this man. It was supernatural. That's the key about this, is the glowing is supernatural. It's in keeping with all the other miraculous expressions of his person that Jesus did, whether it was healing a blind man or restoring hearing to someone who is deaf and mute, this is a miraculous something. It's just saying Jesus is not doing something that is typical for life in this world. But there's more. Moses and Elijah show up. This is a critical piece of the puzzle that shouldn't be overlooked. Moses and Elijah establish continuity with how God has been behaving through the Old Testament. So whatever we're going to say about Jesus, he is not some fly-by-night charlatan. He is a being whose ministry is not novel, But as he said and mentioned back in Matthew chapter 5, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words, God's words will never pass away. The law of Moses will never pass away. John's ministry will never pass away. You see, there's a continuity with what happened in the past. When we say that we are a Judeo-Christian church, it's because we are a judeo Christian church. When we read deeply and continuously of the Old Testament, just as the early apostles did, it's because Jesus is one whose ministry is continuous with the past. Now, then finally, after the glowing and after the continuity, dad shows up. And, you know, there's a book that I was reminded of, and uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a fad right now in, um, in, in Christianity, um, wrestling with um, how do we understand the Bible. And so there's this uh, book that really captures on that, puts it in a Lutheran frame. It's called The Red Letter Challenge. Anybody ever heard of The Red Letter Challenge? It's by a friend of mine, from, uh, by the way, of Zach Zinder. And... Um, Uh, We're going to actually do it here at some point in time. It's a 40-day kind of devotional, fits in Lent, could fit in Advent. 
But the red letter challenge is, uh, is an attempt to say, look, take away all other parts of scripture. Let's just look at the actual red letter words of Jesus. Let's look at what he actually spoke and taught. Not the commentary around it, but the red letter words from Jesus that gave birth to all the commentary, the black letters surrounding it. I was thinking to myself as I was talking to Zach this past week, I think I'd like to write a book and see if he'd publish it for me as a, an addendum to his red letter challenge. And that would be um, the above and beyond letter challenge. Uh, something like that. I'm still working on the title. Not really catchy. I understand. But the above and beyond challenge is this. When God actually shows up, the Father, and speaks, especially in the New Testament, God's voice is very rare. He'll speak through angels, for sure, but when he actually directively speaks, it is exceptionally rare. And this is one of those rare instances where God shows up, he speaks out of the cloud, and these are the words he says. They should be marked and underlined. These are the words that give the energy to our Christian faith. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. I think the key words that we have to underline here are um, not the word son or even the word listen to him, but dearly loved. While God may have so loved the world, his heart, his being is wrapped up in the son who will give his life for the world. While God finds great joy, we are told, through Jesus of a sinner who repents, the very existence of Jesus brings God joy. Now think about this. When you put your life in the hands of Jesus, when you put your trust and faith in his words and his works, how does the love of God for Jesus, how does God's joy over Jesus lap and wash over your life? See, that's the, that's the great truth is that when we put our trust in this dearly loved son who brings God great joy, that love and joy that God has for him gets connected with our life as well. There is no greater act of worship. Listen to this. There is no greater act of worship than a human being can give to God than to put faith in his son Jesus. In our Lutheran tradition, it is one of our core tenets that worship of God is found most, most preeminently offered when faith in Jesus Christ is had in the human heart. It's not when you're, you're, uh, you're, 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 uh, you get choked up when you're singing a great hymn of the church or a great worship song. It's not when the pastor gives a, a moving and emotionally laden message and you are, you are cut to the quick. No, the greatest, most purest worship of God is you simply believing in Jesus Christ. When God sees that, he says, everything I expended from heaven has been rightly received by the human hearts that I care about so deeply that I would offer my son. Now, Peter, James, and John thought 
well, let's build tents. Let's set up some dwelling places here. Let's not go back down the mountain. But you see, the identity of Jesus Christ is not ever to be held back from the rest of the world. When we think about evangelism, when we think about the mission and ministry of the church, we are trying to simply help people get closer and closer to the true identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world. It's the only question in, in our witnessing to this God and what he has done through Christ. It is the only question we're trying to answer. How do I help this person that I'm now talking with that is on my heart? How do I help nudge them closer to the peculiar identity of Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world? That's why they had to come off the mountain. So let me end today with a few questions. Let me end today with just a few questions that will jog you and spur you on as you uh, leave this message. The first question is this. What is Jesus teaching you about himself on the mountain that you're on? Each of us are on a mountain, even when life has brought us into the deepest valley. There's never a time as a child of God that the Holy Spirit is not working in your heart in order to convince you further that Jesus is Lord and that you are his prized, prized child. And so even in the circumstances that are like a valley, we trust that we are on the mountain of God and Jesus by his spirit is speaking to us. What is it about Jesus that you are being convinced of as you live on that mountain with him. And there should always be something about the peculiar identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world that you are coming to know. That's why we always read the Gospels on Sunday morning so that if, if the sermon's awful, Alan, if, if you and I completely dog it up out here but by the by the sheer force of the gospel and the spirit working through God's word, maybe you'll hear something credible <laughs> that, that convinces you further that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, did what he said he did. That's the first question. Second question. When you're in the valley and when it when, it, when the going gets tough to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who needs to be in your life to help you remember, no, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? Peter, James, and John were there with Jesus that day, but I'm reminded that after Jesus rose and ascended into heaven, Peter, James, and John were still together, reminding each other of this particular day and others like it. You know, the church is indispensable for an individual believer. And so how is the church coming to your rescue if, in fact, you have lost connection with the head, taken your eyes off the prize, which is the Lord Jesus Christ? Second question. Third question is this. It's really, really simple. What gospel are you going to read this week? 
In the next seven days, just pick a gospel. Mark would be great. I really don't care which one you're going to pick. Which gospel are you going to read over the next seven days? Could be two chapters a day. Could be four chapters a day. But however you do it, however you read it, which gospel are you going to read so that by reading continuously from beginning to end, you can interact with the peculiar identity of Jesus Christ, new, afresh, perhaps, and put into practice what is the kind of basic assertion of my message today. Read the Gospels. See Jesus as he is appreciated by all the cast of characters throughout them. And then take a couple nuggets and apply it into your life. Would you take that challenge with me? Read a gospel this week from beginning to end. Don't fly through it. Don't get it done in all in one day. Take it, Mark's the shortest. Take two chapters a day of Mark and just ask, how is the peculiar identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world further secured in my heart through these couple, two or three, four chapters that I'm reading today? That's all you gotta do. And my sense is, my guess is, the Holy Spirit working through God's word, he'll ping you. He'll give you a little cell phone, ding-a-ling-a-ling. Remember this. And then let's just see where it goes from there. That's the joy of reading these gospels, and it's the joy especially of proceeding as we get ready for Ash Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. That's going to be great. Look forward to that. We'll have a little announcement in a short moment. Um, but Ash Wednesday is the opportunity to read patiently, from the birth all the way and especially to the death and resurrection of Jesus, to retell and rehear the story so that faith can get strengthened in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord and giver of life, thank you for grace to see Jesus as he really is. So many people so many, many people through the gospel resisted seeing Jesus as he wanted to be seen. More than a miracle worker, more than a religious zealot, he wanted to be seen as the lover of souls, the redeemer of women and men, girls and boys. And yet, Heavenly Father, we sit here today and we give ourselves over to this reading from Matthew, the retelling of the transfiguration of Jesus. And we want to be different from all those naysayers. We want to say yes to the vision you give us in Scripture that Jesus is in fact Lord, your Son, whom you love, in whom you delight. Lord, our prayer is we want to listen to him deeply. So help us in this shepherd congregation not only listen deeply, but as we've heard, may we also speak. And hearing forgiveness, may we speak grace and mercy most loudly to those that we love and care for that have been entrusted to our care, whether family or friends, neighbors or fellow citizens. Help us confess who Jesus is. Help us confess what he has done. In his name, all of God's people said, amen.